We are in Zechariah chapter 10 tonight. If God's promises are for a future time, and it's possible that I may not even be around to see them, what good are those promises to me now? How does future glory help my present gloom? So that's the question we're going to take on here from Zechariah 10. That's actually a question I've wanted to ponder on in the past. This gives us a great opportunity to take a look at it, some of the things here in, in Zechariah. So let's dig into verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Now they are an agricultural society without irrigation. They would be in trouble and they, they depend a lot on rain for that. So he's saying ask for rain. Make sure that you don't, don't just uh, stand around hope that it f- falls. But ask the Lord for rain. Didn't, ask, didn't say to ask anyone else. Said ask the Lord for rain. They are told that God is concerned with their needs and their economy. That still holds true today. Now, rain represents both physical and spiritual blessings. So certainly we can take both aspects from that. The um, it says he will give them showers of rain and grass in the field for everyone. Man's idea of equality is for most people having just enough. But God's is abundance for all. God is always the God of abundance. Whenever you get an idea that we're just trying to spread things around to get everybody just enough to get by, that is never God. God is always in great abundance. You look at the the earth, the earth has great abundance of water. The earth has great abundance of air. The earth has great abundance in many things. You look at the universe and it has great abundance in stars and galaxies. There's not just a few out there. There's always great abundance. Because that's the God that we serve. Verse 2, For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. Now, the word here for idols is the word that means a common household idol. Common household idol. Diviners are those who consult the spirits of these idols to divine the future. So he speaks about this right after he says, Ask the Lord for rain. In the past, it had been their tendency that if rain didn't come, and they felt like the Lord wasn't answering them for whatever the reason, then they would go to their idols, they would go to diviners, they would go to people and consult. If God wouldn't speak to them, we need to go through another way. And so that they would do this. So he's uh, basically saying to go back into that. Idols speak delusion. Whatever we get from an idol, it will be delusion. The diviners envision lies and they tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Because of these things, the people will wander around like sheep with no shepherd. Today, this will be the same thing. There's many Christians who feel no problem with dabbling in spiritist type things. There's even some churches that will dabble in the very service dabbling into spiritist type, type things. And don't be messing with that. Don't be getting into that. Don't be going after uh, reading. Uh, what is the thing they put in, used to put in the newspapers? Uh, horoscopes? 
uh, have astrological readings or palm readings, don't be dipping into those things. You are consulting. You're doing exactly what this verse says. You're going after idols to speak delusion. Going after diviners who envision lies. And they will tell false dreams. They will speak some things that have some truth in your life. Because demon spirits do know some truth that's in your life. And they will try to point you to a future. But it's not the future that God has. Don't, don't mess with it. Don't dabble in it. Don't get involved in it in any way. God says these are no real help. And certainly those who would speak for these idols are no help either. Whatever comfort they give people, it's useless. And generally people find comfort in the beginning, but then pretty soon they're, they're uh, telling them things, they're going to tear apart their lives. You just don't need to go out in that direction. God says, ask me. Ask the Lord. Now it says they have no shepherd. They're following something. But as Jesus teaches in the New Testament, we've looked at recently, They are not true shepherds. They're not there to lay down their life for the sheep. They are not ones who enter by the true sheepfold or the true gate. So they are wandering around as sheep without a shepherd. goes on in verse 3. My anger is kindled against shepherds and I will punish the goat herds for the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal horse in the battle. Now this word here, goat herds, most other occurrences that you see this, it's translated rams or goats. Goat herds is kind of an unusual thing. Most people are interpreting this as a, like a goat herder. And uh, they're seeing this as leaders. And since they're not true shepherds, maybe that God is using this. But a goat is, of course, a strong-headed animal. They're not as yielded as sheep are. God puts them in contrast to, to sheep. And generally, it's not a good contrast. We have the separation of the sheep and the goats, and that's not a good separation. But anytime you have the leaders, you also have those in the group that are strong uh, followers, and they help influence the people that are around them to follow in certain ways. And I think these are the ones that it's talking about, those people who have risen among the ranks and are not necessarily leaders of the of the flock here in Israel, but they are certainly people that folks in there will follow and listen to their influence. They are deceptive leaders who refuse to repent of their wrong teaching, their wrong ways, and they remain fixed in their disbelief. Verse 4, From him comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, and from him every ruler together. Now this is speaking of the true shepherd that from him comes the cornerstone. And we're not going to spend time on all four of these things here, but we could. You know, in the Word of God, it talks about Jesus as the cornerstone. Isaiah 28, 16, Psalm 118, 22, 23, Matthew 21, 42. These are all ones that talk about the cornerstone. In Isaiah 22, 23, and 24, we have Jesus, or the, the Messiah, as the tent peg. Isaiah 63, 1 through 4, and Revelation 19 talks about him as a strong fighter in the battle bow that is there. And also the New Testament talks about him as the uh, leader and the ruler of his people. So those are four things he put in here, but those four things are also supported in other places in Scripture. Verse 5, They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders, and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. 
Now, speaking of these sheep that are right now without wandering around, seemingly without a shepherd, they shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies. They're not fearful of their enemies. They tread them down in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. So this is speaking of a future time. They shall be like mighty men. They shall be like mighty men. And they shall defeat the enemy. The Lord will be with them. They will fight with the Lord. Now this is not happening in their day. And this is why uh, this chapter is a good opportunity for us to take a look at what happens if prophecy comes about our future, but it may not be a future that we're a part of. Zechariah 10.6 I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside for I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. This is talking about a united kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern tribes represented by Joseph. Ephraim is also going to be mentioned here. That he will save them, he will strengthen them, he will bring them back. They will all come back to the land because I have mercy on them. goes on to say, they shall be as though I had not cast them aside. God says, I'm going to restore you to a place that is just like you had never left. You had never been cast aside. You will be just as strong and I will be with you. Now that's not their condition right now. But this is what he's saying is coming. For I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. Now God does not remove us from the work that is in front of us. He doesn't remove us from our labors. He strengthens us for them. Sometimes people want to pray and ask God to remove them from the work that is ahead, from the labors that are here. But that's not how God does it. God will strengthen us for the things that are ahead for us. And that's how we ought to be praying. We know that's the will of God. Instead of praying, God, remove these things from me. No, this is what I'm in. God, strengthen me for this this battle. Strengthen me for this this task. Strengthen me for this calling. Strengthen me for what is ahead. That is where our prayer should be. And this is what he's promising them. I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Judah. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. And they shall be as though I had not cast them aside. For I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. Now when he says this, I will bring them back. This and some other parts of this chapter tend to make us think that this is speaking uh, not of the time that God brought them back here, but a time in the future. And in 1948, of course, is when they were brought back to the nation again. And uh, I think there's a, a much greater coming back to the nation that is still ahead for them. Some of these things that are prophesied don't seem to come about in the days that they were there. There is a partial fulfilling of this in, in the strengthening they had when they rebelled against um, Antiochus with the Maccabean revolt and things that happened with that, but they still were not completely free as they uh, came under the Romans. So this may be looking at a partial fulfillment in things in the past and a future fulfillment altogether. Zechariah 10.7 Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man and their heart shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. He says, not only will strength come, but joy will come too. It's a whole lot easier to do something for God when you're glad about it, when the joy is, is there. 
And he says, I'm not just going to have you the strength, but I'm also going to give you the joy. You're going to have the joy that comes along with it. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. That's something that God knows is important. We need to have joy in our life. That is one of those things that moves us along. And uh, we've shared with you before, it's one of those barometers that tells us how our faith is doing. Joy and peace. Those are two things that can really tell us how our faith is doing. If you're low on both of those, then probably your faith is wavering. Verse 8, I will whistle for them and gather them, for I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. I will whistle for them and gather them. So God just could basically let out a whistle, just like the shepherd would do so for the sheep. Let out a whistle, and they're all going to hear the whistle, and they're going to come, and they're going to gather, for I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. Again, promising that it's going to come back to the way it was before. You used to once increase in a certain way. We're going to bring you back. And that increase is going to continue on. In uh, verse 9, I will sow them among the peoples and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children and they shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them in the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. He shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So I will strengthen them in the Lord. They shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. Now you'll notice in this, in verse 10, I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. There's no real mention of Babylon. And right now they're mostly being gathered from the area of Babylon. That's another thing that indicates to us that this is probably something future. We're looking at taking them from uh, all their enemies. Egypt had been one of their greatest enemies all through their history. Assyria also was an enemy over a long period of time. And they're the ones who actually took the northern tribes out and dispersed them amongst the nations. And he's saying, oh, we're going to go out there and we're going to find all the Israelites that are around the world and we're going to gather them back. I'm going to whistle and those Israelites that are out there will hear it and they will come and they shall gather. Now, whether they know that they're Israelites, whether they know they have Jewish heritage or not, I don't know. Of course, with all those things they have out for you to find out whether you're, uh, what your genealogy is. Maybe some people go out there and they find out and they say, well, it looks like I'm mostly of uh, Jewish descent and they may then consider themselves to be, be Jewish. Uh, other people may have known this and logged this uh, through their families. But whatever it will be, the call will not be the fact that they are Jews. The call will be that God will call for them and that they will, they will come. And so many of them returned to the land after World War II. It seemed that a lot of the persecution that had gone on from Germany and Russia probably motivated them to come back together and to be in a place where they could be in control of their own, their own land, their own country. But the Lord says, I will bring them back from all these places. Until no more room is found for them. Until no more room is there. They're going to be so full in that land that they're going to have to expand. They're going to have to, to, to move out because there's no more room for them. That's how many are going to be coming back and be brought back into this land. That's not the condition where they are at right now. So they know this is for some time in the future. They did not reach that during the time they came back and, and before they were uh, kicked out by Rome. So this is still for some time future. 
He shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. God's coming after those people that came after his people. So I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name. He's going to strengthen them in the Lord. They're going to know that their strength comes from the Lord. This is what they're going to be moving in. Now, when it says here, there's no more room, Isaiah speaks of this in Isaiah 49, 19, 21. I'm going to read these for you. I wrote them in your outline if you want to look them up later on. For your waste and desolate places and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants. And those who swallow you up will be far away. The children you will have after you have lost the others, after you have lost the others, will say again in your ears, this place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. Then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me? Since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive, and wandering to and fro. Who has brought these up? There I was left alone. But these, where were they? Again in 54, verse 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. So Isaiah has two places where he talks about this expansion. Zechariah has this place here in chapter 10 where he's talking about the expansion. But again, these are things that are down the road. A lot of this chapter is for things that are down the road and it seems that many of them will come about when this group of people that are listening are not even going to be around. So what benefit is it for them? What benefit is it for people even today to hear about prophecies that are not going to benefit us directly or are not going to be seen possibly even in our lifetime? Of course, we're getting closer to the end time so we think just about everything ought to be in our lifetime. But... For many years, people, be, Paul was looking at uh, Christ coming back soon. And um, there were prophecies that were not going to come in his lifetime. But he didn't live like, all right, these aren't going to happen for me. So we took on this question. If God's promises are for a future time, and it is possible I may not even be around to see them, what good are they to me now? How does future glory Help me out of my present gloom. Now, if we want to make that into a smaller thing, if God says, I will bring you out of this, I will help you, all right, well, that's future. What about now? Right now, I'm kind of under all this stuff. Right now, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like there's, there's too much that's coming against me. And I, That's great that down the road, you're going to be there for me. You're going to help me. That's great that up in heaven, I'm going to be the victor over all, all these things aren't going to overtake me but what about today now one of the things we can do is we can demonstrate faithfulness in believing in them and pass them on to other generations and speak to them to people around me I can show the faithfulness I have to the word of God by believing in them not just discounting them well that's not going to be anything for me and by passing them on to the next generation these are things I can do and this is in your outline, but if my faithfulness depends 
on seeing personal benefit or present day gain, then I have only learned faithfulness to myself and my desires, not faithfulness to the will of God. That's an important thing for us to understand. If I'm only faithful because I see a personal benefit or because I see a present day gain, something's going to help me out. Really, I'm only faithful to myself. I'm only faithful to my desires. I am not faithful to the will of God. When I become faithful to God, even though this has no bearing on me, I'm still going to believe in that promise. I'm still going to see that promise down the road. It changes the way that I I walk. It changes the kind of faithfulness I have. Now, one of the other things you'll know is that I won't be wiped out. If God is promising me things in the future, if God is promising Israel these things down the road, that means no matter what we hear, no matter what rumors are going around, we are not going to be wiped out. These nations that are around us, the Philistines, the Phoenician cities, Tyre, no matter what we hear about them, they're not coming over here. Damascus, not coming over here to wipe us out. These things are not going to happen because God has promised these things to our coming generations. So, our coming generations have to be around. Now, we're going to take a look at three examples here and learn from them in these things. Abraham, David, and Israel as a nation. We're going to look at these three. Now, Abraham would not be alive to see the words that God spoke fulfilled. He wasn't going to be alive to see that his descendants would be as the stars of the heaven. I think he kind of knew that. He wouldn't be alive to see his, see them become like the sands of the sea. He wouldn't be alive to see that all nations would be blessed. He wouldn't be alive to see that kings would come from him. But God prophesied this to him. I think one of the things you'll see in the life of Abraham is that the fear of death was finally removed from him. It seemed like he feared death because every time we're, we're seeing him in the early days, he's always talking about how they'll kill him or they're going to kill me for my wife. Well, if I go down here, we could die because there's no food. He's always looking at things that were going to kill him. And eventually we see him overcome that. In fact, he even takes his, uh, his servants and he goes after five kings and engages them in battle. That's not a person who has a fear of death. Seems like he got over that. That's one thing that helped him. But in hearing these prophecies that were, set, were spoken, he pursued blessings to support the family he would become, not the one he was. He decided, uh, if I'm going to have a family like this, then I need to be richer. And he pursued riches and uh, made sure that it was God who blessed him and made him rich. And he rejected anyone else who tried to help him get that way. He let God be the one who, who blessed him and supported him. But he supported, he pursued the blessings to support that family that God said, this is what's coming. Now David had the promise of the temple. But it was given to his son. He wanted to build it himself. But he said, no, you're not going to build it. Your son will build it. But he did pursue God's anointing in pursuing the supply that that temple would need. And he he pressed into it. He probably encouraged his son in the pursuit of the temple. He may have even given him some training and building and negotiating deals for the goods that were needed. He learned to act like what God said 
is coming is just as real as what is now. Now, Israel had the promise of the promised land for quite a few years before they actually realized it. In fact, at one point, God uh, told Abraham that they would be strangers in a foreign land for 400 years. It turned out to be 430 years because Moses was disobedient. But that was a lot of years for that to come. So Abraham knew, all right, this is promise is coming, but this is uh, hundreds of years down the road. Now, Joseph heard this. He knew about it. He was in that land that he knew they were going to be in here for 400 years. So he said, all right, let's do this. Don't bury my bones. Keep them in a place where you can carry them out so that when you do leave and you will leave, you'll take them with me. This told the Israelites, we know to look for a deliverer. In fact, we know when to look for a deliverer. We know that from this, around this point, Joseph probably had figured all that stuff out. All right, from about this point on, 400 years, this is where we're going to be looking for the Redeemer, the Deliverer. And there are some clues that they were looking for the Deliverer around the time that Moses was born. It reminded them what God was, uh, what God said was coming. We're going to be leaving here. This place is not where we're going to stay. But something that Israel failed on is that the we won't be wiped out part. Because constantly when they were in the wilderness, what did they say? We're going to die. We're going to get wiped out. But if the promises that God said are going to be fulfilled, then that shouldn't be something that we are concerned with. But they very much were. They did not become what they needed to be for what God said was coming. They didn't get ready for it. David did. Abraham did. Israel did not. They constantly had a desire to return to Egypt because they did not envision the future of what God said was in store. Abraham envisioned the future. He saw the future. God kept bringing them out and looking at things so that he would envision the future. You see the sand? You see the stars? I want you to envision the future that, that is out there for you. This is what I want you to see. Don't just look at your present. I need you to get past that and look at the future. Don't look at the fact that you don't have any kids. I want you to look at the future. This is what's coming. And so he began to look at that. He began to prepare for it. He began to plan for it. He had a lot growing on the, on the way to do as well. David also, he had some growing to do on the way, but they grew. They got themselves ready. David grew, got himself ready to be king of the nation, even though he was not. I'm sure that little voice came in his head and said, you're not king, why are you preparing to be king? It doesn't look like you're going to get to be king, you're just trying to stay alive right now. Saul's got the whole army out here after you. How do you know that you won't, you won't die? So he, he wiped out that, uh, that fear of death, Nope, I'm not going to be afraid of that. My God is going to preserve me. My God is the one who called me. My God is the one who said that he's going to bring me to that place. And he made himself be the person that he needed to be to be ready for when God said this is coming, he was ready for it. So we divided it up this way. We called it the light we learn. Four different kinds of light that we need to learn. First one, First two, actually, are things we need to understand that we should not walk in. These are going to be hindrances to you. The first one is today's light. That which is made known by what I see or feel. It's today's light. Our present day difficulties or opportunities illuminate the way. Whatever it is that I'm facing, that's what's lighting my way. And this is where a lot of people are. They're facing 
difficulty on the job. And everything in their way is lit by the difficulties they have in their job. They have difficulties at home. They have difficulties uh, in, their, in their mental realm. They have difficulties in the physical realm. Whatever that is, everything is illuminated by those restrictions, by those hindrances. Well, I can't do that. Well, I won't be able to do that. Well, this is going on. And the, everything in their life is by today's light. Do you remember uh, when Moses was called and God is pointing to him and saying, here's what you're going to do. He is so caught up with today's light. Well, they want to kill me down there. They don't see me as a deliverer down there. Israel rejected me as their deliverer. Um, I can't talk. I can't. And he looked at all these things that he can't do. He was caught up in today's light and he couldn't step out into what God was saying about tomorrow. No, Moses, this is where we want to take you. Abraham was done the same way. God was talking to him about his tomorrows, what's going on tomorrow. And he kept being caught up in today. I have no kids. I have no descendants. How can what you say about me be true when this is what's going on? Sarah is barren. They were caught up in today's light. Israel, while they're walking around in the wilderness, is constantly caught up in today's light. They don't see getting through the wilderness because we have no food. We have no water. The Egyptians are behind us and they want to wipe us out. And they kept seeing the problems that come up about today. And they walked in the light of what they saw today. Even when they were on the mountain, Moses was on the mountain, and he's up there, and he said, I'm going to go up, I'm going to meet with God, and come back. And they heard the thunderings on the mountain. They could see something was going on on the mountain. But they're moved by today's light. We don't know what happened to this Moses. We need to, we need to do something. They were fearful of what was going on. My present day difficulties or opportunities illuminate my way. That's today's light. For Abraham was no children. If you remember when he, he uh, walked in the light that God had said, go to a land that I will show you. He gets to the land. And what's he find in that land? Famine. And when he, when he saw the famine, what's he decide to say? Well, I guess God will just provide for us in an area of famine. No, he's moved by today's light. Today's light says this place has a famine. So let's go on to Egypt. Now, what's interesting was he's never been to Egypt. How does he know that Egypt is better? He must have been talking to some people around there. You know, there's famine here in this land. Is there any place around that has food? Well, down in Egypt, they're doing okay. So on the basis of what other people in the land said, he goes down to Egypt. He doesn't know those people. He believed those people over the word that God spoke. And he goes on down to Egypt because he was walking in today's light. He was having, having trouble with that. Even when he left his family, he took Lot with him because he walked in today's light. When they got to the, Israel got to the Red Sea. They walked in today's light. God had already spoken. Look, I'm going to do something over here at the Red Sea. Told Moses about it. And the Egyptians that you see, we're going to wipe them out. But Israel couldn't see that. Because all they could be illuminated by was today's light. David, 
walked in today's light with Bathsheba. Well, this is what's going on now. He walked in today's light when he took the census. Well, I, I just want to do the census. People try to talk him out of it. God said, you're not supposed to do this. I want to do it. So he did it and got in trouble. With King Saul, sometimes it was easier for him to walk in today's light and get discouraged instead of, to, instead of what God said about tomorrow. This is where a lot of Christians are, though. We walk in today's light. I walk in how I feel. I walk in what I believe may or may not happen today. Not necessarily what God said, just what I feel like what might happen, what people are saying around me. Today's light. i got to get past that. These folks had to get past walking in today's light. Here's the second one. False light. That which is made known by sources detached from God. Well, when, when Abraham came down to the promised land and he hears the voices that say, let's go to Egypt. These are voices that are not connected to God. Either they're people that are around him, maybe something on the inside of him said, yeah, I, I can bear witness with that. That's, that's a good idea. Let's go on down to Egypt. We'll just go down there for a little while and then we'll come back when the famine's over. That, those voices also told him, lie about your wife because they're going to kill you for your wife. Tell you that she is my sister. That's not inspiration from God. That is false light and he walked in the light of it. And when he gets down there, he says, now look, Sir, I just uh, say that you're my sister because uh, you're beautiful and they're going to they're gonna want you so they're going to kill me to get to you. Israel, when they're in the wilderness, they, uh, they had some false light. Something came up to them and said, let's make new gods. We don't know what happened to this god. Let's make new gods. So they made some new gods. Where'd that inspiration come from? That's false light. They walked in the light of it. Some of the people in Israel desired positions that were not given to them. And we saw some rebellion, some fire coming down from heaven, some earth opening activity, swallowing up people because of their desire for positions that were not given to them. They would say things like, who is Moses? Well, that didn't come from God. They walked in false light. David walked in false light. After he saw Bathsheba, he said, well, I think we'll just send for her. After that, I think we'll kill her husband. Where did that inspiration come from? Then that's, that's covered up. No one will know. Where does all that inspiration come from? It's false light. Even people like David, even people like Abraham, they walked in false light. They got in trouble. And what, their lives would have been better if they did not walk in that false light. But they were walking by today's light. And when you only walk by today's light, it is very easy for you to be deceived by a false light. For that to come on in. We have to get past that. The third one is true light. That which is made known by sources connected to God. Not sources detached from God and pre pretend to be Godly. That which is made known by sources connected to God. Well, for Abraham, we saw he had true light when the word first came to him. Get up from your land. And we all know the word that God gave to him came from there. 
How about the word from God? Sacrifice your son. That came from God. The realization that God is my deliverer. God is my provider. He came up with names for God as he learned things about who God was. That came from true light. True light for the Israelites. When the ten, when the, the, the spies went out and the ten came back and they gave the bad report, two stood up and they had a good report because they were connected to God. And they said, we are well able to take the land. That was God's light coming to them from sources connected to God. But they refused to walk in that light. Now, Joshua was willing. Caleb and Joshua, they were willing to walk in light, the true light. They were ready to go up there. They almost go up there by themselves. They were so convinced that God would do this. When they came to the Jordan to cross over the second time, and the word from God said, line them all up in front of the river. They all lined up in front of the river. And then it opened up. The word from God came, march around Jericho. And they marched around Jericho. The word from God came to circumcise all the men once they got into the promised land. That doesn't make any natural sense. You're now in the presence of your enemy. Why not do it on the other side of the Jordan? Buy yourself some time. They didn't. They waited until they crossed over the Jordan and God says, now circumcise every male. These are words that came direct light. David, I will have a scripture I want to read for you. And there's a combination of some things in, in this. Read uh, verses 1 through 5 first. And then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kila, And they are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. So he asked the Lord, Shall I go and do this? And he said, Yeah, go ahead and do it. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kilah against the armies of the Philistines? What light are da- is David's men walking in? That's today's light. David's, David's walking in the light that he got from, from the Lord. The Lord said, Yep. Go up. Go up and save the city. Then David inquired of the Lord once again. Now, I don't think David came back because he was wondering about it. He says, look, if you want me to go up by myself, you know, that's one thing. But if you want me to go up here with the men, i got to have something more. Because they're not, they're not buying it on this one. So he inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, they took away their livestock, so David saved the inhabitants of Kilah. Well, that's walking in true light. This is knowing this source is connected to God. God has spoken, and we walk in the light of that. Even though today's light may be against it. This is a lot of times you'll see this conflict in Scripture. You think back on some of the stories. People have today's light, and then they have a word that comes from God. Sometimes that word involves the future and sometimes that word involves something to do right now. As we were reading in our daily reading, we saw the story of uh, Zechariah when he was, uh, he got the word, he's walking in today's light. Now that can't happen, we're old. We can't, we can't walk in that. That's, how, that's not going to be. And God says, all right, now you're not going to be able to talk. 
And so he was uh, he was mute until the baby was born, and they named him John. A lot of people cannot walk in today's light. I'm sorry, cannot walk in the true light because they keep walking in today's light. I can't do that because I am this. I can't do that because I'm caught up with this. But God, I have a problem with that. How can I walk in this? Too much of today's light. And it's keeping us from seeing that particular light. So you, you think uh, on this, you can go through Scripture, you can see a lot of times where people could not walk in the light that God was speaking to them simply because they were caught up in the light of today. Now here's the last one. And this is tomorrow's light. Or you could also call it prophetic light. That which is made known by God. I'm sorry. That, that which is made known by God sent prophetic voices. God sent prophetic voices. For Abraham, Sarah shall have a son. Not just Abraham shall have a son. If it was just Abraham have a son, then the one with Hagar would have worked. But he said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. As a direct word from God. It took a long time for that to come about. But that's what God spoke. Even when God spoke to him about the sand of the shore and the stars of the sky and the 400 years, this is all things that were prophetic light or tomorrow's light. For Israel, they had the prophetic light of a land flowing with milk and honey. I have given you the land, God said. I have given you the land. It's already done. All you got to do is go in there and take it. These are things that God spoke to them. This is tomorrow's light. For David, you will be king. This is when he was nothing more than a shepherd boy. You will be king. God then said, I will make you an eternal house. Because David had shown himself to be faithful to God. And he wanted to build God a house. And the word of God came to, nope, you're not going to build it. But your son, he will build it. First Samuel 23, verse 14. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. I read that. And I think, you know, Saul's out there looking for David. Probably still thinks the hand of God is with him and is asking God to help him in his endeavors. Asking God to help him find David and to wipe this threat out. Isn't it amazing how many Christians can be on a mission against the things of God and think the hand of God is with them? That's how much false light they walk in. Saul walked in false light. I thought it was today's light, or I thought it was God's light. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in the forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, look at these words. This is the man who's connected to God. Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. Now some parts of this didn't come about. He didn't get to stand next to him. But he would have. If he was alive, he would have been standing there. He would not have been trying to take the throne. Because he saw the hand of God on David. And he was not about to fight that. 
this was some encouragement on tomorrow's light. David already had this. David has already spoken these things. Jonathan's just reaffirming him on these, these particular areas. I put this in your outline for you. If we don't grow past today's light, correctly identify false light, and recognize true light, we will stumble trying to walk in tomorrow's light. If we don't grow past today's light, correctly identify false light and recognize true light, we will stumble trying to walk in tomorrow's light, or you could say prophetic light. Now, Abraham and David stumbled. They stumbled as they were trying to follow tomorrow's light. But they eventually learned to not walk in today's light. They eventually learned how to identify false light and to recognize true light. When they did that, they were solid. Israel never got past today's light. Never got past walking out of today's light. They could not correctly identify false light or recognize true light. And that's why they fell in the wilderness. That's why they continually did not rise to the task that was in front of them and demonstrate any faithfulness to the things that God spoke. We didn't talk about him, but even Jeroboam, you can see, Jeroboam walked too much in today's light, could not identify false light, and when false light came to him and was against the true light that he had received from God, he stumbled as far as tomorrow's light was concerned, and he no longer believed the prophetic light that God had spoken over his life, and he left God, and he fell. If we can learn these things, then we will know the true value of tomorrow's light, the true value of prophetic light. But I need to walk in the light of what God says. I need to walk in the light of what God said is coming instead of the light of what I see and feel now. That's a tall order. For Abraham, it took him a lot of years to get there. David didn't take quite as many years. Israel. God finally just threw them all out and said, that's it, I'm done with you guys. Let's work on the next generation. And the next generation went into the promised land and they walked in tomorrow's light. They did well. Some people think they're walking in tomorrow's light. But since they haven't actually learned how to identify false light and discern it from true light, they are easily moved by today's light. They've been deceived into a wrong and a destructive future. This is the the role of the enemy. He's got to keep you tuned into today's light so that you cannot see tomorrow's light because of today. That you cannot see the true light because of the false. And we look around at the church today and there are so many who believe things that are not in Scripture, who are spiritually fed by things that are not even in the Word of God. They're not walking the way that they need to. And they will be led into a wrong future. They will follow after wrong things. 
they will be deceived into a wrong and destructive future. There's a lot more places in Scripture you can see these four kinds of lights going on. But as you continue to read in your Bibles, be looking for today's light. Is this person operating by today's light or by tomorrow's light? Are they able to distinguish between false light and true light? And you will see a remarkable difference in the success of those people and the way that God is able to look at them and the way that God is able to bless them. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can learn the difference between false light and true light. We can get ourselves out of walking in today's light and walk in tomorrow's light. That you have sent us words about a future and maybe some of those words we will never realize. But there's a journey towards them and we demonstrate faithfulness to you by being faithful to those words. By being faithful to your will and not just faithful to what benefits us. Continue to grow us in these areas that we can learn where I may still be walking in today's light. The things I feel, the things I see, the things I sense. And help us to discern between what is true and what is false so that we can walk in the light of tomorrow and not be one who stumbles. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.